Hello, friends, and welcome back to We Can Do Pod Things. I'm Emily. And I'm Annalise. And today we are going to be discussing the episode of We Can Do Hard Things featuring Cheryl Strayed. And it is entitled, Don't Let Your Dreams Ruin Your Life. But before we get to that, Annalise has a quote. Also, if you're new here, hello, welcome. We're glad to have you. Mm -hmm. This is a podcast where we talk about a different podcast. And you don't have to listen to that other podcast maybe necessarily to get anything out of this because I think a lot of people don't. But if you like Glennon Doyle and if you like content like what we're presenting, you might consider going back and listening to the episode that we were talking about. So that is our plug for We Can Do Hard Things. For our bestie Glennon. Love Mm -hmm. you. Hey, girl. Uh, My quote is simple. My standards are high because I can provide what I require. Read that again. Read that again. My standards are high because I can provide what I require. There you go. People in the back, I hope you heard that. One of the things that we hear on Glennon's podcast a lot and that I think we've experienced ourselves is how difficult doing the work is sometimes because it can feel really isolating. Mm -hmm. Not that we're better than anyone else, but it's just that we – are working on different things Mm -hmm. and we find ourselves in different places and valuing different things than a lot of people around us. And that feels kind of weird and isolating. Mm -hmm. But we are, when we do that, we know that that isolation is, first of all, it's there, but it's not there. Mm -hmm. And also the reason for that is because we have, we we expect out of others what we are capable of of giving. We mm-hmm. and it's not it's it's not unreasonable. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes it's just I've worked really hard to get where I am and I don't want to risk exposing myself to someone who might cause me to slide backwards. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not necessarily their fault that you slide backwards. Even if they're somebody who you know, for this person, I would make choices that would slide me Mm -hmm. in the wrong direction. Did you have to make eye contact with me while you said that? (laughs) Jesus. Seriously? It's fine. You're going to get a whole earful. I'm speaking in coded language. (laughs) She knows. She's my best friend. She knows what I'm saying. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm also, you know, I am very much at a point in my life where um, I struggle with being alone mm-hmm. and not in that like I don't like to be alone or like I can't be alone but just that there are seasons of life when being your own soulmate or being your own partner or being alone solo is extremely difficult and it would it would just <coughs> be really nice mm-hmm. To have that other person in your house or in, you know, that, that because I am not alone. I have friends. I have family. Mm-hmm. I have top tier friends at that. I have shoulder friends. But y'all don't live with me. Right. And you're somebody who likes to be around people. Mm-hmm. You say hello to people <laughs> when you see them out in public. You don't hide. Willingly. Like some of the rest of us do, which is <laughs> baffling to me. And that's not to say that I'm not comfortable being alone because I am. Mm -hmm. And I I have learned how to like value that. I'm just saying that sometimes I get in a place where I'm like, what is this? Is it going to be like this forever? Well, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be seen 
in the way that only a romantic partner is able to see you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me of a conversation that I'd had with, I used to have with my friend and we would call him gas, I call him gas station boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And she would get really down about like, that person is absolutely crazy and they have a boyfriend, but I don't. And I'd be like, yeah, but you don't because your, your standards are higher and they're, you have expectations. Mm -hmm. You could go out and get a boyfriend. Right now, you go to the gas station and and find a guy who wants to date you and date him. But then you would have a gas station boyfriend. Right. You don't want a gas station boyfriend because you're not a gas station gal. Mm-hmm. Which, in hindsight, does sound a little bit elitist, but whatever. Well, maybe if we're following the gas station narrative, you don't want an unleaded boyfriend. You want premium. There you go. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can't operate on the fuel that doesn't work for your tank mm-hmm. or something like that. So, all right. Without further ado, Cheryl fucking strayed, <laughs> ruining her life to honor her mom mm-hmm. and prove that her mom's life mattered in a world that was just moving on as if her mom never existed. Mm-hmm. I, I have. In addition, the first thing, one thing I wanted to mention is I didn't realize it when she said this, but this was just the first of many signs that this woman is dialectic as fuck. Mm -hmm. When she said, I lived in both poverty and riches. Mm -hmm. She grew up in some economic poverty, but she had a rich childhood in other experiences. And I was just like- Because of her mom. mm -hmm. I mean, she credits her mom- Mm -hmm. Almost completely mm-hmm. for that experience. Yep. So that was my first inkling of the the, the mutual stardust mm-hmm. and how that taking that kind of lens to our childhood in whatever way we're able to do because not everyone has had the same experiences. Mm-hmm. Life isn't about the easy button, but that sure does make it a little bit easier, and it's and it's easier to be generous when we can accept both of those things being true. It's giving Code of Many Colors by Dolly Parton. Ugh, we stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I very briefly want to mention, she talks about um, her mom was perfectly healthy, never, never smoked or anything like that. Um, found out she had stage four lung cancer and died seven weeks later. And when, they, when Cheryl was 22 years old. Yeah. Um, that's... That is legitimately terrifying. They were about to graduate from college together. together. You've got to watch Tiny Beautiful Things okay. on Hulu. I will. I that is my nightmare. Mm-hmm. And th- those stories are the reasons why people get a little unhinged about that. And you know what? There's no good age <laughs> for losing your mom, right? But I will tell you purely based on my experience that that time in my life mm-hmm. when I had just left home, I was fresh out on my own, mm-hmm. was the time when I valued my mm-hmm. mother in a newer and clearer way than mm-hmm. I ever had before. Yes. The dynamic of our relationship changed. Mm-hmm. I, I Very much similar. Like I went from when I, when I left 
school and went to college mm-hmm. and in those late teen, early 20s, I really began to have a friendship mm-hmm. with my mom more than the parent-child relationship. Yeah. You're just on the cusp of having this new, beautiful unfolding of a relationship yeah, with your parents. A wealth of new experiences mm-hmm. and opportunities and ways of making memories. Yeah. And to just have that ripped out of her hands is just – and she mentions developmentally too that like that is um, – that is – that's going to leave a Awful. mark. That's going to leave a mark. That's going to leave a mark. And it left a mark. Mm-hmm. And how beautiful, I'm going to say brutiful, mm-hmm. this honoring my mother by ruining my life. And she talks about the world doesn't acknowledge when extraordinary people are lost. And because she felt she didn't have anything to prove or to show to the world that her mom mattered, And initially when I wrote this down, I wrote she didn't have anything to show to the world that her life mattered. And then I realized there's a very subtle distinction that she said her death mattered, Mm -hmm. that her mom's death mattered. And again, as I've listened, as I listened to the rest of the episode, Cheryl Strait is very intentional about Mm -hmm. her words. They are sacred to her. So because she didn't have anything that she felt to prove or show to the world that her mom's death mattered... She did that by demonstrating that she couldn't survive without her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she got into heroin. She engaged. I appreciate this distinction that she made. She engaged in promiscuity that was Mm self-destructive. And I'm glad that she was careful to indicate that not all sexual promiscuity is self-destructive. Right. But in this case, in her case, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really resonated with me as well. And I appreciated that distinction that she made. Um, I'm jumping a little bit ahead because it's tied to this concept of she believed that she was honoring her mother by ruining her life. And she believed that she was loving her mom so much or acknowledging the love that her mom had given her by being destroyed in her absence, then she had this realize that she kind of flipped the script and she turned it around. And instead of honoring my mother by ruining my life, I can, I have been loved too well Mm -hmm. to ruin my life. And that's the kind of perspective shift that always kind of – that always gets me. Cheryl fucking straight. Cheryl fucking straight. And for some context, her father at this time was alive but was not a part of her life. Her was father was super abusive. Abusive and her mom had taken the kids – Fled. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. what she did Mm -hmm. to get away from this person. Mm -hmm. So she defined herself from that time on as an orphan. Which is some of the history of her name Mm -hmm. because her born last name was not strayed. And then when she got married, she combined her name, her last name with her husband at the time's name. And then when it was time for her to when they got divorced and they had to decide what to do with their names, they didn't have kids. They didn't 
have a reason to, she didn't have a reason to have, to keep that name. But she also didn't have a relationship with her dad, and so she didn't have a reason to keep that name either. Mm-hmm. She decided she wanted to choose her own. Which is such a wild thing that I've never thought about. Right? I don't know why more people don't do that. You can choose anything. She says you could write Mickey Mouse on that I paper. I know. And, and I do think that that's such a fascinating and interesting idea because knowing the etymology and the history of names, right, it, it, it used to tell people who you belonged to. Mm-hmm. And she said that that was her name. I'm alone. As she was going over this, she says, I'm alone. I'm, I've lost my identity and, and who I belong to. And if really, for me, what makes me feel divine is belonging to myself, mm-hmm. then choosing my own last name, that's a surname, right? Mm-hmm. Would be help identifying who I belong to. Yeah. And what a profound way to start that journey. Yeah. And people thinking that that's weird, right? And she talks about like, oh, that's not really your name. But mm-hmm. if she when if she had gotten married and taken her husband's name and not kept any part of her maiden name, um, they wouldn't be they wouldn't tell her. Nobody that. would say that. That's not your real name. That's not your real name. Mm-hmm. Right. Like nobody would say that. So why can't it be our why can't we decide what our real name is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She chose strayed after a lot of deliberation. Mm -hmm. She considered a lot of different things. And ultimately, she picked strayed because it means taking an alternate path, which is... Someone who carries her home on her back. What she had to do. And man, did she ever. We're going to talk about the path that she took. It was long, you guys. If you... (laughs) It wasn't easy either. If you... I'm springing this on you, but if you had to pick a name for yourself... Oh, I can't possibly just do it on the spot. I mean, I can't either, but do you have any ideas or thoughts on what feels true? Maybe more on that later. Okay. Can we come back to that? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Hiking. Let's talk about hiking. Yeah. So I've never seen the movie Wild, but for those who have, it's based on Cheryl's journey hiking the trail that I can't even name because that's how little I know about PCT. hiking. Is it Pacific? Pacific Coast Trail? Pacific. PCT? Is that what, what it is? that's what they were just saying. I'm going to Google it. It's a, it's a big one and it's like 1,100 miles. Am I getting, am I getting that right? That's, yeah. I'd know more about this if I had seen the movie. <laughs> Pacific Crest. Pacific Crest trail. trail. How long is it? Um... 2,653 miles. And she hiked about half of that. Glennon hiked about 12 minutes of it. Yeah, she was like, I mean, (laughs) you might have gotten a little more out of your experience than I did because I was on it for 12 minutes, but. And she was 26 when she did that. Alone. She wasn't. Was that before she had her kid? Yes. I don't know if she. Because how does that line up with her I don't think she carried that baby. Oh, okay. I I could be wrong about that. Okay. But I don't think that she did. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. That that makes the timeline make a little bit more sense mm-hmm. with the information that we have. Um she talked about the hiking that some people will view it 
could view it as an escape. And to, but to her, it was more of a stepping in. Mm-hmm. And I think that like any other tool, it could be for mm-hmm. some people an escape. What are you using it for? Just like staying busy or being in a relationship. You know or- what I'm never going to do? Escape anything by hiking <laughs> over a thousand miles. I mean, I do love me some hiking, but I can't disagree. And she was an amateur at this. She didn't have the right shoes. Her backpack was ridiculously heavy. Too heavy for her to carry. Somebody had to show her how to pack it in a better way so that it was more manageable. Oh, my God. She did this thing just to do it. Man, that speaks to the very ADHD side of me where it's just like, hey, I have a tiny bit of interest in this thing, so let's just – I'm just going to go out and do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to research it, which is not very much like me, but I'm just going to go do it. And she fucking did it. It makes sense that she and Liz Gilbert are friends. Right. Because they both kind of did a similar Mm -hmm. thing. And they both have very similar beliefs on on spirituality and their own divinity, Mm -hmm. which we'll get back to. Um, but I do think that I, there are things that can be very healthy for us that when we use them to escape rather than to experience or step into or become more whole, that's when they are maladaptive tools. Mm -hmm. And she talked about it, it being similar to her heroin. Um, and when she started using heroin, it was her escape into a world that was more bearable. What she was really looking for was a way back to her own suffering and understanding how she could live with that suffering rather than escaping from the suffering. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you about therapy today. Tell me about therapy today. First of all, hi, Laura. Um, Laura, you are always the third person in this room, I just told, so you know. Okay, yes. And we talked today about, she was like, I got caught up on the podcast. And I was like, I think I said something about, I'm going to need you to get to make sure that you listen to the podcast every week so that kind of like a what you missed last week on Glee yeah. sort of thing. I'm going to need <laughs> you to come prepared to our sessions mm-hmm. so that I don't have to then explain take up our valuable time explaining all of these other things. And um, we both got a good laugh out of that. Um, But uh, low-key, one of my dreams is to interview or have Laura participate in an episode if possible. I would love that. But um, I I had therapy today and I was talking to Laura about this thing. I am just so freaking tired of dealing with. And I I feel like I've been working through this forever. It's been it's it's not really been forever, but it feels like it's been forever. Do you feel like you've hiked a, over a thousand miles with this thing? Emotionally, mm-hmm. I have hiked the PCT and back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I am I have gotten to a place like this before and then had veered off into an alternate 
lane and I'm, I find myself back in this place where I, I think that I'm getting towards the end of it, or I think I'm, I think I'm entering into the land of, ex- of acceptance. Um, and that's all well and good, but also part of it for me is I have taken my feelings about all of this and put it in a jar and put that jar in the back of a closet because I I don't know how to sit with it mm-hmm. without making it my identity. I don't know how to acknowledge the pain. How do I process it without getting swallowed by it? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to exist with alongside this thing and it not consume me. Mm -hmm. So knowing that that is not an identity that I want, I don't want to be the woman that thinks she's had the great love of her life. I don't want to be the woman that never fully recovered or never, you know, was never satisfied again to, to borrow from Hamilton. The way that I know how to handle it right now is to just take it all and put it in a container and put it away and ignore it. What were Laura's thoughts? So glad you asked. Mm-hmm. Because we talked a lot about I felt like I feel like that's abandoning it. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between putting this thing in a container so that I can deal with it later but I don't feel like that's ever going to be something that I can deal with. I don't feel like that's some, a container I ever want to open up again. And I compared it to this, <laughs> this, um, it's a gas, I think, but it's used to make meth. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> and um, I first became introduced to this chemical when I worked for the state. And um, somebody from the state police came and um, did an extensive training on the components of methamphetamine so that we would know how to identify that if we came across it. Mm -hmm. And part of their presentation was some pictures of the different components or people who had come in contact. And and this thing that I will always remember is, is this particular chemical, gas, whatever it is. Um, farmers use and these people had stolen the the tank that this chemical gas or whatever was in and it's extremely volatile and they had car- they were carrying it in their truck just bouncing along on these country roads and because it is so volatile the seal on the tank broke or or even just started leaking and what this thing does is it sucks all of the um, water out of the air, including your body. So because they were in a contained vehicle and this thing opened oh, up. Oh, so it wasn't in the bed of the truck. No, it was in the oh, cab okay. of the truck because it was super valuable mm-hmm. too. Um, so it like immediately like mummified them basically. And there was wow. a picture of that. Mm-hmm. And I said, I feel like what I'm putting in this container, it's not something that I can just sit next to and it will drift away like fog or or 
even something like natural gas mm-hmm. that's dangerous, but eventually you can air it, you air it out and it's not going to kill you. I feel like this thing that I'm putting away, if I am close to it, it becomes a part of my identity and I can't separate myself from it. So for my own protection, I put it in this container and hope that it just dissipates on its own. Because if I open it, it's not safe. Mm -hmm. So we talked a lot about that. And um, when I'm picturing in my mind what it looks like to put that in a container and put it away, I'm picturing a metal canister and putting it in the deepest part of the closet. And I think we talked about the um, Harry Potter, the room in the um, Ministry of Magic with all of the uh, fortunes in it or the all of the predictions or um, it's like the Hall of Yeah, I sort of remember that. And was that the place where – Yes. Spoiler alert, serious. Yes. Yeah, it's in. It makes its appearance in a couple different of the movies, but yeah, um, I can't remember what it's called. But I picture that mm-hmm. type of closet in my head, and that I take this canister that you can't see what's in it, and putting it in the very last row mm-hmm. in the cobwebbiest, dustiest place because it's that dangerous. And because it's going to have to sit. Is that sit. where they kept the prophecy? Yes. 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 I remember. Yes. The Hall of the Oracle or I don't Hall remember what it was or called, something. but I was trying to remember why they were there. That would be why. Yes. It was the Hall of Prophecy in the Ministry of Magic. That's what I picture. R.I.P. Serious. Oh, gone too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked a little bit about that. Because this whole idea of something being too much and being so dangerous and so unmanageable because of how intense it is and how much how much it makes me feel or how much feeling it elicits, needing to hide it away and abandon it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't vibe well with me either. And she talked about one strategy that other that people can use is you're not abandoning it you're not putting it somewhere and forgetting about it you are putting it in a container that is that you can and you can see it and then you're putting that container somewhere safe mm-hmm. because it can't come out of the container safely and you're not not loving it or or acknowledging it or remembering it you're just putting it somewhere that's safe mm-hmm. and me trying to kind of wrap my mind around that because right now I can't open it and mm-hmm. exist with it and sit alongside that suffering what to whatever degree it's suffering um because I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I can't. But right now all I'm doing is really escaping it. I'm not stepping into it. And that's okay that mm-hmm. I'm not stepping into it right now because I don't have all the tools. And we've talked about this before. And she 
it's just the best. I said this thing where it's like just because I take a couple baby steps doesn't mean I need to sign up for the Boston Marathon. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't mean that I'm never going to run the Boston Marathon. Right. Spoiler alert, I'm never going to run the Boston Marathon. <laughs> but in this case, you know, just because I, I I have some of the tools doesn't mean I'm ready to, to do the big, big job. Mm -hmm. And I can honor the fact that I have some boundaries and that I need to put it away. And she just got this big smile on, your fa on her face. And she was like, I'm sorry, I'm smiling right now. But like just hearing you say those words. So therapy with Laura works. <laughs> Um, but then of course we're fucking talking about this, right? I, and I don't often listen to the podcast before the moment of us podcasting. And I had every intention of doing that and I didn't, and it just didn't work out. And I think this is why mm -hmm. I think I needed to have that conversation with Laura to be able to really sink my teeth into what she's saying about escaping versus stepping in. And I want to say about that. This is not the only episode that they do with Cheryl Strayed. Mm -hmm. They did a really recent one. And I think it was in that one that she talks about she was an anonymous advice columnist yes. named Dear Sugar. Yeah, I got a tiny bit of that. And she said that the way that she approached that work that was, in this was to assume that people know the answers. Uh, mm -hmm. They know their own answers. Mm-hmm. And so she would just kind of lead them toward their own knowing of the answers. And mm -hmm. it sounds like that's sort of what happened as you were working this out in therapy. You mm -hmm. got yourself to, with the support of Laura, mm -hmm. to the answer that you already knew. I started getting to the answer that I already mm -hmm. knew. Yeah. I have, where is it written down? I have a comment about that where she talks about, when she did that particular column, it wasn't about finding the answers, seeking the answers for them. Mm -hmm. It was seeking the answers with them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, shit. That is very Brene Brown sitting in the dark. Mm -hmm. That is very the power of showing up for our kids and our job not being to regulate our kids' feelings or to solve our kids' problems, our job to be sit with our kids while they learn how to solve their own problems. Mm -hmm. It's not abandoning and it's not enabling. It's accompanying. I love in this episode when she talks about how humbling motherhood is. Oh my God, I yeah. know we'll get to it and I'm not trying to rush it, but- I felt that <laughs> when she and and when she I mean god that is that is that is that feels holy to me. Mhm. Mm and we'll get back to like that specific phrase as well. Um I also just want to give a shout out to hiking and to um indigenous wisdom. Mhm. Mm Caitlin Curtis. Curtis and the being outside and she talked about this hiking, she felt more herself and more connected when she was on the hike, even though she was by herself. Mm -hmm. And that being connected with nature and that actual grounding and how healing that is, 
I mean, I ain't surprised. Nope. And we also, we've talked about this before about running and walking and scanning the horizon and EMDR. And um, by the way, we were listening to a song on the way here and Jack was like, who sings this? And I was like, oh, I can't remember. It's like, you know, it's one of those um, EMDR artists that then like features a singer. And then I was like, I mean, EDM. (laughs) Because that's that's just, funny because I always make that mistake in the reverse. Right, I, when I'm I used about to also the therapy. I always called it e- EDM. and I used to too. But now it is it is usurped my vocabulary mm-hmm. and to where EDM doesn't exist. It's all EMDR. <laughs> um, and the she talks about her about hiking that being like medicine for her, mm-hmm. and we know scientifically that that is valid. Yeah, I can get on board with the walking. Yeah. I don't know about the hiking, but she talks about even when hiking is not available to her, yeah. she walks. Yes, but you know what? That again, it's the tool. Mm-hmm. It is just the same as hiking could be an escape mm-hmm. or it can be a stepping in. The walking could be used as a tool for emotional regulation and and healing, or you could be Keith Raniere and you could be having these weird gaslighty oh right in the middle of the night conversations while walking mm-hmm. and i you i guarantee you that man did that on these walks these mm-hmm. fast walks knowing the science behind how a brisk walk affects the brain yeah because it was basically edm <laughs> emdr in the, the opposite in the eye. exactly you have to look the person in the eye and it, it ingrains in your brain more mm-hmm. it is the opposite of emdr therapy it's like emdr gaslighting yeah man these tools in the wrong hands can really mess some things up <laughs> really mess some things up i want to talk about how you said the stepping in mm. And she made it a point to say, I wasn't finding myself. I was returning to myself. Oh, God. Embodiment. Missed that part, I think. You were there all along. You just had – you got to go back and dig yourself back up again. Yes. 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 And that's what she did out there. I – my next note that I have is her talking about – the bottom, which she calls what did she calls it the bot the pot bottom place, hitting rock bottom, mm. and that it is the glorious place of beginning, and that's the silver lining of destruction. Mm-hmm. And also, two things can be true at the same time. I don't have to be grateful for the destruction, mm-hmm. but since it was fucking dealt to me, I might as well make something out of it. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I'm glad that it happened or that I think everyone should experience it in order to build their resilience. Right. Or that it's a necessary component of of everyone's learning experience. Mm -hmm. And this is something I think about a lot is, and I've talked about it on here a lot too, how to... How much trauma is enough, right? Like how much <laughs> adversity do we let our kids experience or mm-hmm. we we accompany alongside our kids or our friends or whoever? No one can learn to be resilient if they never face adversity, but how much adversity is enough? Oh my gosh. So quick story about that. Excellent. Rally just started yesterday. Baseball. 
for the first time ever. That's amazing. We've been trying to talk him into doing it. He finally decided it was something he really was excited to do. He's been so pumped about it. He started yesterday. I was an absolute wreck. Yeah. I had to walk away from the field Mm -hmm. and sit in the car without even looking because I had all these worries, but I didn't want my worries to become his worries. Mm -hmm. So I had to just pull myself totally out of the situation because I'm like, are the kids going to be nice to him? And is he going to catch anything that comes his way? Or is he going to get hit with a ball? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, all these things that I wasn't expecting to feel all those things when I went to his practice last night. But boy, did I. (laughs) This is that, this is the part of the the most humbling thing yes. that I've ever done is is be a parent. Mm-hmm. And I, I think now is the perfect time to talk about that. She does. Okay. So that reminds me of the struggle I had with this fucking conversation with this freaking person where they they were like, oh, you know, I I I have absolutely zero desire to be a parent. Parenting is so cringy and just like, okay. First of all, for the record, if you don't want to be a parent, don't be a parent. Mm-hmm. I do not judge you for that. I do not think less of of you. It I I I don't. It is your choice and it is not a role that everyone is suited for and that is fine and gen truly fine. I'll even go so far as to say beyond being fine, like good for you yes. that you know that Absolutely. about yourself. Yes. Love I I je- truly love that for mm-hmm. you. But the way that this person talked about it was like, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around it because it felt like what they were saying was the process of being a parent is something that they can't handle because it's too hard to do that work. Because in you, you had asked me very early on in my getting to know this person who said, oh, so they're just afraid of being completely loved or or being any kind of genuine, real, true love. Mm-hmm. And because that is also a component of parenting. That is also a part of being a parent is that there is this pure, unadulterated love that is given to you and how overwhelming that can be. And it also, you're seen for who you really are. And you're very much, we're very right about that. And also- everything that's beautiful and everything that is awful about being vulnerable. Yes. And and it's humbling in that it requires us to continually go, Mm -hmm. shit, I just messed that up. Reevaluating- our positions on everything. Why do I tell my child that he can't get into my bed without taking his dirty outside clothes off and putting pajamas on? I know goddamn well that the pajamas that I wear that were clean three days ago are dirtier than any outfit that he's worn for a single day because I sweat so much in them. <laughs> Why do I tell him that? Why do though? I enforce these arbitrary right? standards? Like, and, and she talks later on about the best advice that you've ever been given. I have something different written down, but one of some of, I think the best piece of parenting advice that I was ever given, and I talked about it on here before, my dear friend, Melanie, I will always be grateful to her 
because we were in training for DCS together and I was childless and she had two children and they were way, they were young. They were, um, I think one was still in a car seat. They were both probably still in car seats and now they're teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, her saying she doesn't teach, she didn't teach her oldest not to talk back or not to question adults. And me being like, what? That's, I, that is, they, they need to respect adults because that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. And her being like, I don't want her <coughs> to take something that an adult tells her and doesn't make sense to her. I don't want her to take that and just accept it because that is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I want her to go, why are you telling me this? This doesn't make sense to me. I want her to be able to trust her instincts. And that that is hands down probably the best piece of parenting advice that I ever got because it challenged me to go, okay, that's what you believe right now, but why do you believe that? And what are the what are the ripple effects of that? And what's the big picture here? Mm-hmm. And that is the, to me, that's the essence of being a parent is like overanalyzing every fucking thing you do <laughs> is 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 going how is what i'm doing helping my child the thing that she said in this podcast that i'm most connected to my own parenting self was when she said embracing your own mediocrity Ugh. do you remember yeah. a while back when i told you as a parent, I'm like a six. Mm-hmm. And it was so liberating to me to say that. And I remember saying it to other people and them very well-intentioned trying to talk me out of that and saying, no, you're a 10. You're great. You're all these things. Did I, I have like, that response too? Because I feel like I might have. I know it was on this fucking podcast that you said it. Was it? I don't remember. I do believe it was I'm not naming on- you. But I remember that there were people who said that. Yeah. And I love that they want me Mm -hmm. to feel those things about myself. But also I want them to know how liberating it is to me to say, no, it's cool. I'm a six. Yes. Because we've talked about if it wasn't on air, Mm -hmm. then it was, it was definitely in the midst of a podcast because we, we've had this conversation too about you can't be a 10 Mm -hmm. without being a three yeah. or a four yeah. or a five or a six because you can't be a great parent mm-hmm. without showing your kid how to fuck up yeah, and making mistakes in front of your kid and that being this whole catch-22 paradox of being the quote-unquote perfect parent. You can't be the perfect parent without being yeah. imperfect. And just to air this out, I'm not endorsing anybody rating other people on a scale from one to 10. Right, yeah. I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying that that is how I conceptualize this idea of embracing my own, not even mediocrity, just humanness. Yes, okay. So I also have stuff written down for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and her this really ties into where she talks about don't let your dreams ruin your life. We've talked before about analysis paralysis and or being just so overwhelmed with wanting to do everything right that we don't even get started. And I'm pulling an Emily here. And um, in a different episode of We Could Do Pod Things, where she talked, they they have uh, Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus mm-hmm. on the show. It was one of the more recent ones. She talks about 
this great lie that she had been told her over her life or that she we all have told our kids which is that you're amazing mm-hmm. you're incredible you are outstanding unmatched fantastic mm-hmm. and the p- pressure of growing up believing hey i'm somebody yeah because then when we aren't somebody or we aren't amazing or outstanding or incredible or perfect mm-hmm. or whatever what's wrong with me yeah and it being a lie that that we're not always going to be great yeah or i, I think and think some of that was in within the context of her writing which then really vibes with this where your writing is fantastic your writing is amazing well it's not or like and I think it was within the context of the movie that she just uh, put out or she was just in that was written by another person. And I think Reese Witherspoon had her beautiful little fingers in this production as well. Are I'm- we still talking about Julia Louis-Dreyfus mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Cheryl? Okay. Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Okay. I, um, she talked about her, this scene where the white, that where one character says to another, what if... Uh, um. What do you think of my writing? Do you think that it's good or fantastic or whatever? And this character saying, it doesn't matter what I think. Mm -hmm. It matters what you think. If you believe that it is fantastic, my opinion, it doesn't matter what my opinion Mm -hmm. is. And how that, this phrase that I, I, I think we've all grown up with some manner or fashion, a job worth doing is a job worth doing well. And I saw some kind of, it was probably a Reddit thread or something meme on social media where sometimes a job worth doing is just a job worth finishing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be done perfectly. And the only, the thing is, is like a job worth doing well, if it keeps you from completing the project is not done and so you know like it's like it's okay to, to maybe half-ass things sometimes well and but if you redefine your definition of doing something well mm-hmm. maybe doing it well just means finishing yes it, doing it to completion yes and it has nothing to do with did i do my best mm-hmm. or did i do this the best mm-hmm. it is generosity and believing that we are all doing the best we can yeah with the tools that are available to us in any given moment. And well, according to who? Because if the answer is anything other than well, according to myself, then it's not the right answer. If you finished the job, mm-hmm. it has been done well because it was done to the best of your ability at the time. Mm-hmm. The end. Yeah. If you finish it, and it's not about like half-assing your way through it and, and you know, it's okay to like, do shitty work. Mm-hmm. As long as you are doing it to the best of the ability that you have in that moment. Yeah. As long as you contain satisfaction with it, it doesn't matter. And it's finished. What any other person says about the work that you did that you are satisfied with. If the work that you have completed, you know in your heart is the right work, is the best work that you could do, or you you go you can sleep at night knowing this feels in my soul well, mm-hmm. it is well with my soul, then it's the job done well. Yeah. We are 
in the time of year where the counselors go into the classrooms and they talk to kids about college and careers. And one of the activities that we do is we make SMART goals. Mm. And something that I would like to add Mm -hmm. to those this year is that in addition to being, let's see if I can get all these, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely, it should be something that's in your control. Mm. Yes. Because Cheryl started out with a goal of, I'm going to write the great American novel, which is all well and good, except that that's not something that she can control. She can write the novel that she can write. Mm -hmm. And whatever the audience, the people think of it, she says, it's none of my business. Mm -hmm. This is internal control versus external Mm -hmm. control. This This is the validation of ourselves mm-hmm. and our wholeness and our oneness rather than what other people or outside influences say. And yeah. I have I have written down, be driven by what is inside you, your own knowing, not what you think should drive you. Mm-hmm. What do you know to be right for you? Not what do you think is right for you based on what you've been told by other people or what you've seen portrayed in the media And that's not to say that the things that have been told to you and that you've seen portrayed in the media aren't the right things Mm -hmm. for you because that, though both of those things can be true, but it's not what you think. If you're not sure about it, if you don't know that this is what's right for me, find what you know. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is what drives us because if we're doing what we just think is right for us, we're automating. Mm -hmm. We're trying to use the easy button. And that is that is that is not a recipe for success or Nor wholeness is it easy or health in right. the long run. <clears throat> we think it's going to be at the outset, and then you get into it, and it turns out it's not easier. The easy thing is actually following the thing that is inside you. And and Abby talked about I've had the success. Mm-hmm. I've had the achievement. I got the gold medals. It didn't protect me from the pain. It didn't provide me with the satisfaction that I thought I was supposed to get. Mm-hmm. Didn't fill the hole. What fills the hole is not what I think I should be doing. It is what I know I should be doing. Yeah. And that is something I vibe with. Something else that I loved was when... They were talking about one of the things that Cheryl's mother said to her was that she is a seeker. Get out of my nose! And she rejected that. Mm-hmm. And then and being, she was mad at yes. it. She was pissed off about it. And then Glennon said, "Longing is embarrassing when we're young." And then Amanda, without missing a beat, said, "Just when we were Only, young, wait, we were supposed to let go of that. Did that stop for you?" Yeah. <laughs> At what age do we stop seeking the approval of our parents? Yeah. When does vulnerability Mm -hmm. stop feeling uncomfortable? I have so many things to say about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Another part of the work that I was diving into today and that I'm diving – I'm currently working on is this idea of re-identifying identity, which is something that that Cheryl – talks about being part of how we live and how we manage and how we go on and what and and how we 
make our lives full. And um, part of the why sometimes we don't achieve our dreams or we don't attempt our dreams is because it keeps, and I think it was Amanda that said it keeps the myth alive. If you never complete the thing, then you can still cling to that identity of I could have, Mm -hmm. I could have done this thing or I would have done this thing. If I had had the opportunity, I would have been an amazing ballerina instead of actually becoming a ballerina and accepting the fact that maybe I would have been a real shitty ballerina. Mm -hmm. That fucking re-identifying my identity is a thing that I talked a lot about today with Laura. I am I'm accustomed to that. I'm I I'm I'm cool with that. This whole concept of the 2.0 and and shedding the past version of me, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. But there it it's hard for me to take this current situation or this current experience or feelings that I have and I've already made part of it part of my identity. And that identity hurts. And I don't know how to make that other part not be part of my identity as well. Mm-hmm. Because the part that I've already allowed myself to consume and and I've allowed to become a part of me is this unconditional love. And I didn't know how dangerous that was because it doesn't, it's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop loving this person. I, I I fully committed to the unconditional love. I can't eternal sunshine of the spotless <laughs> mind that out of my identity. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried that if, and I fear that if I sit with this pain and, and uncomfortableness and the feelings of that, of that grieving that, I'm worried that that too will become a part of my identity that I won't be able to let go of. Mm-hmm. And how do I adjust my identity around that? Who am I now without this person? And she talks about that a little bit later in the episode of when she's talking about grieving and how we can do hard things is is a, ver- is a version of her own belief of we can bear the unbearable mm-hmm. and grief and we can live on and us believing when we lose someone who matters to us that I can't possibly live on without them. I can't live without my mother. I can't possibly hike this impossible hike. Mm-hmm. You actually can. You can. And not to say that it's going to be easy, but you actually can. When she said that, where she, because she was also talking about like, there are, are the people that say, oh, I don't know how you do that. I could never do that. Mm-hmm. And her being like, well, you know, actually you could mm-hmm. because there's not two different groups of people. They're the people who can handle the, the, the bear the unbearable mm-hmm. and, and the people that don't. And we find ourselves in situations as, uh, where we have to do the thing, right? Like everyone is, uh, this is maybe a little um, violent of an example, but I'm listening to have song, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes right now. Um, we all think that we, I think that everyone wants to think I could never kill someone. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that you wouldn't be messed up about it, but I think you will find that 
if you had to, you could. Mm-hmm. If you had to, you could. I always think about that. You know, in so many movies, there's this moment where the woman who's been victimized or whatever is pointing a gun at whoever the person is. Mm-hmm. And that person is like, you're not going to shoot me. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes she does. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she doesn't. But I always think I I, I wish a motherfucker would. would. I wish she would. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. She then she said that then that's at the point I think then she said we all have a moment where we think we believe I cannot live without this person and Mm -hmm. I literally said some of those words to Laura today like I know that I can live without this person but I don't I I how do I do that it's they have become so much a part of my identity they have influenced the way that I think about things, the phrases that I use, the way that I view myself, what my what I value. I can't live without this person. Their influences are going to be on my life regardless. Mm-hmm. I, I also use the I can't eternal sunshine this person out of my life because the things that I value now and the things that are important to me and the things that I like about myself and that make me feel more whole, I learned by being in a relationship with them. We can agree to disagree about that part. I feel like you may be giving this person a little more credit than they're worthy of. I mean, I, that's I'm, they didn't do the work for me. Yeah. But I, upon my interacting with them and, and being in a relationship with them, was given the opportunity to figure out It was a was season of growth yes. for you. And she said that thing about we can we can though we can live on without someone when when we lose someone who mattered to us and I just go oh this sucks <laughs> I stopped it I wrote my note and I go how very dare you how very dare <laughs> well this sucks <laughs> you son of a bitch I was not prepared <laughs> um in her talking about a lot of the way that we can do that though is uh, by rejecting these concepts of courage or strength and i i've heard it said that telling our kids <clears throat> i'm sure that it it may have even come from clennon courage being brave it's actually it is it's from untamed mm-hmm. being brave isn't not being scared mm-hmm. being brave is being scared and doing it anyway because it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. Not just, maybe that's not from Untamed. Because I don't want the other side of that is bravery is not being scared and doing it anyway when I don't want to and it doesn't feel right in my soul. Mm-hmm. What is even bravery? What is courage? What is strength? Strength is not never showing weakness. We know that that's not true. Right. Strength is being resilient through the struggles mm-hmm. and and there is immense strength in revealing our weaknesses to the right people. That reminds me of Chelsea Handler. Yes, 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 because <laughs> then I was going, "Oh, this sucks." And her talking about being mad at this identity that her mom had seen for her and her being like, "No, that's not my identity. That's not the thing." And and rebelling against it, not wanting to acknowledge her weaknesses or her vulnerability or the fact that Being a seeker means that she acknowledges that there's something that she needs, Mm -hmm. and that's Chelsea Handler. Well, and she said this part just stabbed me right through the heart. She said, 
I wasn't ready to be seen that clearly by my mother. And now I would, give I would welcome mm-hmm. being seen by my mother in that way. I had a thought when she said that I, I'm putting this out in the universe that Cheryl, I, if you hadn't already come to this conclusion, I do think that your mother sees you that way. Mm-hmm. I think just because she's not here physically, just like we talked about with Kier, mm-hmm. just because you didn't have that conversation while she was alive doesn't mean she doesn't see that for you now. Right. Um, and Chelsea Handler talking about the thing that we reject the most mm-hmm. is usually the thing we need the most. Yeah. And I also low-key hate the whole where she talked about I wasn't ready to be seen that clearly because that is also something that I have learned with this person is we can never love someone more than they love themselves. Mm -hmm. And if I see you better than you see yourself, then – That can feel threatening. It is threatening. And you aren't going to be able to receive and participate in a relationship mm-hmm. like that because it's too much for you. You yeah. can't. You are you are afraid of real love because what is love if not being seen? Mm-hmm. So fuck all y'all. <laughs> um, do I you have some thinking, final thoughts? I have a couple more things. Okay. I was thinking when you were talking about how do you deal with this part of you that is always going to carry this unconditional love, how do we fit that into an internal family systems perspective? Because she talks about- I love you. I love you. I have it's and ifs written down. Mm -hmm. Your inner terrible self. Mm -hmm. And Glennon immediately says in her very Glennon way, and I, I love her- because she knows, she mm-hmm. hears herself when she says these things. Talk to us about the it's, the internal terrible self, and how do we banish them? And then she goes, and Cheryl goes, how do we what? And she goes, I know, we can't banish them. Mm-hmm. Because that's not the goal. Yeah. How do we live it's with them? It's very tempting to say, I want to overcome this person. I want I want to quiet the voices in my head. Mm-hmm. But this is internal family system. This is IFS. It's it's and ifs. This is ifs, Mm -hmm. internal family systems. Let it have a seat at the table. Yeah. That is in that is Mm self-love. And I am in this women's empowerment group, this this therapy group, and we and self-love is the core message of it. And what is self-love? Yeah. And that is self-love, is letting everyone have a seat at the table and acknowledging that the reason that this whole voice exists is out of protection. Mm -hmm. It is because it has helped us survive and it doesn't have to be in charge. Mm -hmm. I can speak to that voice instead of saying, hey, you stupid bitch, (laughs) shut the fuck up. Nobody likes you. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, I can say, I understand why you're saying that. I appreciate you looking out to protect us. Mm -hmm. However, I'm the one in charge. Yeah. And I will hear all of the things that you have to say because I know it comes from a good place. And I will decide whether or not I choose to take your advice. I wonder what would happen. Remember the part where she talks about every time that she was feeling really scared Mm -hmm. on the trail, she would continue to say out loud, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. 
even though I'm closing my eyes and shaking my head because she this was, is a podcast and you can't see what I'm doing. But she was afraid. Mm-hmm. But they said that that's where you find the middle. Fuck this. Fuck all of this. <laughs> Fuck all of it. Fuck everybody. I'm sorry there's so many F words. Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't do this. She's a sage of the middle. And you know, I didn't really embrace the concept of the middle until this last fucking transformative relationship. Mm -hmm. I hate it. Continue. I mean, I just wonder what would happen. It's written. It's written down on on here too. I have that. um, she she, She calls it the wise voice. And that immediately made me think of a Bible verse um, mm-hmm. that's still small voice. And um, her saying, I'm not afraid when she was. And I have been doing, trying this new technique because beliefs are practice thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mark it off your bingo board. I have been getting up every day and I have it written on my mirror. <clears throat> reminder, I do not love blah, blah, blah. And also repeating to myself during the day, I don't need this person to be a part of my life and I don't need to be a part of their life. How it really just feels like gaslighting myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't love doing it because I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but I know that beliefs are practice thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I know that the alternative hasn't helped me. And she talks and I, and I, I have these questions about it. And then as she's talking about it more that it's not gaslighting, it could be But it's not because the fact that you are acknowledging it and you are saying it out loud Mm -hmm. and the only reason you're saying it out loud is because you are the thing. Yeah. Makes them both true. If you're going to expose yourself to one extreme, then the only fair thing is for you to at least experiment a little with the other extreme. And then all you can hope for is to find something in the gray area in between. Mm Mm-hmm. I can, the true embodiment of dialectics, her name is Cheryl Strayed. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I want to touch on is where they talk about her little spiritual practices and I'm how much I really love that phrase. <clears throat> While I'm doing my own work on reclaiming my divinity and my spirituality mm-hmm. and her, um, she's friends with Liz Gilbert and her Belief is that she doesn't necessarily believe in God, but that she believes in the divinity in all of us. God is in us as us. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, one of her little spiritual practices is is walking, is walking meditation. And I wanted to draw attention to the fact that there is a – in the pedestrian bridge in our town, there's this little like decoration thing in the middle of it. And it looks a bit like a maze. And you'll never guess who told me what that maze really was, but it's actually a, um, it is a, it's actually modeled after a, I think it's Buddhist, um, meditation path and you follow the path and you meditate on whatever your phrase or word or whatever it is as you walk the path path. And by the time you get through to the end, you know, you have completed your meditation for the day. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, that I mean, that's an actual thing, and mm-hmm. that I think that's also a little bit about like I think it feeds into like why mazes have been built, or some of those you know not necessarily like goblet of fire <laughs> labyrinths <laughs> that you can't get out, but 
the shorter ones that you can see your way through, but it's very directing your path that that being linked to this walking meditation. That's so interesting. That just went to the top of my summer to-do list. Yeah. I mean, and I frequent, I live within, I mean, everything's within walking distance. It just depends on how far you want to walk, but <laughs> you actually can. It is not unreasonable <laughs> for me to walk downtown and get to the pedestrian bridge. Mm-hmm. And I, this just cements that whole, I want to go and engage in that path as a, as it is intended, mm-hmm. which it can all, it's not that it, you can't just think it's pretty. It's, but like, I want to use it. Yeah. I want to try it out. I want to mm-hmm. see it. And that does sound like something that a little spiritual practice, a little way for me to reclaim my I, my divinity. Another thing on my summer to-do list that I am taking straight from Cheryl's mom, Bobby, <laughs> is put yourself in the way of beauty. I love it. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask if you had a piece of best advice because yeah. that was her best advice. That- because that in put yourself in the in the way of beauty was her the best advice she'd ever been given and that was from her mom. Mm-hmm. Do you have a piece of best advice from my mom in ge- or in general but a re- the reason that I have this tattoo the reason why I have this tattoo of a book on my wrist is because my senior year we did this thing at my school where parents would write uh, little notes to all the seniors mm-hmm. and they were published in the back of the yearbook. And something that she wrote in mine was your life is an unwritten masterpiece. Make it magnificent. Oh. So that has been a big one for me. I love that. Mm-hmm. The one that I have written down is and is also passed down from my family, from my grandmother to my mom, to me. And that is this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And that being a thing that I cling to often and a mantra of my own and a true legacy, I think, of our family. Mm-hmm. And so many of those legacies can be good and so many of them can be bad and toxic. But this being a good legacy of passing down, that this too shall pass. Cheryl touched on that when she said the happy times and the sad times come and go. And that will always be true. And she said, there are times where I get into a groove and I think it's going to, things are great and they're going to stay great and they don't, but then it's, so the good times don't last and neither do the hard times, <laughs> which is they so fucking elementary. Come right and go. Now. Just come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. All of that. Anything else? Well. I would like to shout out to a friend of the show. A fair a dear friend of the show. Who was kind enough to respond to the question that you posed at the end of our last episode. Would you like to repeat the question that you asked? Yes. The last episode we did was about letting go mm-hmm. and what our and it talked, we talked a lot and the show focused a lot on, um, Glennon's show focused a lot on what internalized messages or beliefs that women wanted to let go of. And I asked, what are the internalized message or beliefs that men had that they wanted to let go of? Because that was a perspective we didn't really get from that episode. 
which is a big question to ask. Yeah. And it's a brave thing to respond to a question like mm-hmm. that. Um, this person said, the things I want to get rid of are the voices society or my upbringing have put in my head. Most of these are not self-critical, believe it or not, but rather they are usually very old and very inappropriate language for labeling others. Mm-hmm. Without going into specifics, I find myself still still hearing language come out of the card files in my brain that is instantaneous and a lot of times racist, sexually belittling, and homophobic in nature. I'm afraid to discuss it often because some might think those are just my real thoughts, mm-hmm. but they are anything but really just imprinted language or wrote remarks I learned as a young man and can't seem to get rid of. I argue against them inside my own head and carry the shame of fearing that anyone might actually ever know what's happening in there and what kinds of thoughts appear. Thank you for sharing that Mm -hmm. and for voicing it. And I want to talk about that a little bit more next week. Mm Mm-hmm. Can we do that? Yes. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really, truly do love and you matter to us, you. Um, This is Annalise. This is Emily. And this has been We Can Do Pod Things.